Well, Merry Christmas. And as John said, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. We know there's so many places that you could be, and we're so honored to have you join us for this hour at Shepherd's Gate, uh, especially if you're a guest. Uh, we just want to do everything that we can to make sure that you feel uh, welcomed here as we uh, open God's Word and we see what He has to say for us today. Um, it's kind of an interesting month, right? December, there's always a lot going on, and yet you are here and you've given us this hour, and you know, it can always be such a stressful time. There's so many things that you got to finish up doing. In fact, kids, just want to ask the kids, kids, have you all had a chance to buy your parents a gift this Christmas, right? Do any of you have to go out shopping later tonight or no? And did you wrap their gift? Or are some of you kids going to be up late tonight wrapping your parents' gift, or you got that all settled? All settled. You hear that? Kids are amazing. Can we give the kids a hand for just like, being prepared? Do you ever notice they're not stressed out in this time? Like, we could really learn a lot from them. Why do we get so stressed out? And it's kind of interesting because December comes every single year. And yet, we always act surprised. Oh, I can't believe it's December. Well, it's been 11 months, right? And God gives us this blessing called Thanksgiving, which you think would be a warning of, here it comes. We're about to enter another season. And uh, for me, I, as, I, as I look at this month, sometimes I look at all of the things that are going on and it makes me kind of pull back and ask this question. How often do we actually stop about and think about what it is that we do and why we do it? Do you ever think about that? For example, some of you, this is your tradition. This is your family tradition. This is your routine every single year that on October 1st, you either go down into your basement or you go out into your garage and you grab a box and you bring it into your family room and you set up a tree, right, in your living room and you decorate it and it stays there because you want to celebrate Christmas, not just for one month, but for three months. <laughs> Some of you, uh, you, refuse to, you, you refuse to enter into this. In fact, you're, you have a very strict family tradition and you refuse to put out the Christmas tree until the day after See, isn't it interesting that you all know that, right? <laughs> and you actually make fun of people that set out their Christmas decorations and listen to Christmas music before that date. But do you ever think about why we do this? Why do we have Christmas trees in our home? Does anybody know why we do this? And you're going to learn a little bit about me. I've been uh, part of uh, this church here for 15 and a half years, and I've had the privilege of serving as lead pastor the last two and a half years. And sometimes I have an interesting way of looking at the world. I, I like to ask a lot of why questions. And so as I look at the Christmas tree each and every year, I always ask the same question. Why is it our tradition to go out into nature and we don't find the tree that's dying we don't find the weak tree. We find the biggest and the strongest and the healthiest tree we can find, and then we kill it. <laughs> and then we drag it home and we put it in the corner, right? And we decorate it. We put lights and decorations on it. We treat it like a pet. We give it a little bit of water. <laughs> and then we gather all of our family and friends around the tree, and we watch it die, over the next couple of weeks. And then when we're done with it, we throw it on the curb and the wonderful people that serve as our garbage men and women, they're, they're so kind to take it to wherever they take it and dispose of it until guess what? The next year comes around for us. And so sometimes I just think about the traditions that we have. God, where did we get these traditions from? 
I'll tell you this, the Christmas tree, it actually uh, started being called the Christmas tree from the Germans. And so they were the first ones that called it a Christmas tree. Some of you, maybe you're German here tonight. But did you know it actually didn't originate with the Germans, this whole idea of bringing a tree into your house? The, uh, the Germans actually got it from the Romans, and they used it for a whole different purpose than Christmas. Well, the Romans, if you, do, if you dig a little bit deeper, they actually got it from the Babylonians, and the Babylonians got it from the Egyptians. And so there's all this history, there's all this behind-the-scenes meaning to even the things that we do, but we just don't often stop and think about why we do it. And so I don't know about you, how many of you, this is probably a picture of your house, right? Is this what it looks like? <laughs> Perfect tree, roaring fire, perfectly wrapped gifts. These people apparently don't have children, right? <laughs> or maybe your home looks a little bit more like mine, right? <laughs> this is a terrible picture. It's blurry, the lighting is all off. You'll notice that the, uh, that the star is already halfway down the tree, okay? <laughs> That's because my boys think that you play football inside and outside of the house. It's amazing the stockings are usually hung because usually they're on the floor and our dogs already opened up half the presents that are under the tree. So this is kind of reality, isn't it? Right. But so often we do things this time of the year to bring us happiness. We're trying to ma uh, manufacture happiness in our lives, and so we do things like Christmas trees and Christmas parties and Christmas cookies, and some of you even torture your kids, and you try to instill in them happiness, and then stuff like this happens, right? <laughs> Anybody live in this reality? Some of you? There you God bless you. We are praying for you, and guess what? You will get through it, Okay. But as we look at this whole idea of Christmas behind the scenes, even this day of December 25th, the history of why we celebrate Christ's birth on December 25th, because if you didn't know, we actually have no idea when Jesus was born. Not only do we not know the day he was born, we don't even know the year he was born. Most scholars would put it somewhere between 3 and 4 B.C., in fact, it wasn't until the middle of the 4th century, which is 350 A.D., that the bishop of Jerusalem wrote a letter to the bishop of Rome and said, hey, would you by chance happen to know when Jesus was born, the day he was born? Think about this, 350 years after Jesus was born. Because the early Christians, the first Christians, actually didn't celebrate Christmas the way that we do, the tradition that we have. They celebrated Easter, but they didn't celebrate Christmas. And so the bishop of Rome wrote back to the bishop of Jerusalem, and he said, December 25th. And so now we all just celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th. But here's, here, here's why. The, the, the bishop of Rome was actually a pretty smart guy. And at that time, uh, Rome uh, worshipped a lot of different gods. And so there was this festival that was taking place called the Winter Solstice at that time. Now I want you to think about this, especially because we live in the state of Michigan. They created this holiday because it was really dark and, and wintry and cold and gloomy during this time of the year. And so what they would do is they would go out into nature and they would get trees and they would get mistletoes and they would get advent wreaths and they would get all of the things that we bring into our homes and they would bring them into their homes, check this, so that they wouldn't get depressed because it was winter and it was cold. You think we can associate that with that in Michigan, right? Think of this. And so they would do that because it would remind them that spring is just a few months away. So every time you look at a Christmas tree, just remember that spring 
is on the way. That's that tradition. And so not only do we have this tradition of all these things that we do, there's this tradition of actually coming to church. I mean, look at this place. This place is absolutely packed full. This is our third of five Christmas services and we're not the only church that this is happening to in Metro Detroit. There are churches that have added extra services just like we do. And you know what? What's interesting about churches, right, is as we gather, we pretty much sing the same Christmas songs. We all read from the same Bible. We all offer Christmas cookies after the services to get you to stick around. Like there's kind of a pattern to this. But if you were to peel back the layers, if we were to look at even the Christmas account, and tonight we're going to read the most famous Christmas account, the one that we hear over and over and over again during this time of year, maybe there's things, some things that we can peel back. Maybe tonight there's some things that maybe we can look behind the scenes and to see what this is really, truly all about. And so that's why this whole idea, this whole thing is called Christmas Behind the Scenes because what we want to ask you tonight, as you look at these things, as you look at these traditions and the things that we do every December, do they actually bring us true joy? Do they actually bring us true joy? Or are we just working really, really, really hard to manufacture happiness, which only lasts for a moment? And so we're going to look together at Luke chapter 1 and 2. And so we're going to invite you to grab one of the chair Bibles that are in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're underneath the seat. I don't know if the ushers, there's Bibles in the very back row. If you guys can help, give them to some of the people that are in the folding chairs. Uh, but if you want to turn to 855, if you have a Bible app on your phone, you're certainly welcome to do that. And as we're turning to page 855, if you're here this afternoon and you're a guest um, and you don't have a Bible or maybe the Bible that you have, uh, it's difficult to understand, we would just encourage you to take this one home with you uh, our church just believes this is the greatest gift that we can give you, and so we'd love to be able to give you your first Christmas gift. Uh, so please make sure you take one of these home with you today. We got lots of them uh, here to give out, and so we'd love for you to do that. But here's this gospel writer. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And gospel just means they tell us the life of Jesus. And so Luke just happens to be one of these writers. He's the only one that's actually not a disciple of Jesus. He's one of the guys that actually didn't go around and watch Jesus perform all of the things that he did with his time here on earth. But what we do know about Luke is that, number one, he's a doctor. Number two, he's a very detailed guy. And he actually had access to all of the disciples. He had access to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He had access to Jesus' brother, James. And so he would go and he would meet with them and he would take notes and he would do all these incredible things. And so that's actually how he opens his account. If you look at Verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, right? So he's saying, I have actually interacted with these eyewitnesses, and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Hey, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. So I've been researching this, and I've been investigating this for a long time, and so God led him to write an orderly account, but look at what it says, for you. That he took the time to write this account because he knew it would be passed down to you and that you'd be sitting here today and that you could read this actual account. And it says that you may have certainty so there wouldn't be any doubt. You would know, you would be able to look behind the scenes that you would know the true story of Christmas concerning the things that have been taught to you. And so that's where we want to start today. But I want you to flip the page to 857 because we're going to continue reading 
with Luke chapter 2. And I want you to see what he does next. This is what he says. He says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all who went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now look at how much painstaking effort he put into just these few sentences. He's talking about real people who lived at a real time, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, and he's talking about the positions that they had. And not only is he talking about the positions that he had, he's talking about what caused this whole thing to begin was that they were issuing this decree that a census should be taken, that people would have to go back to their places of origin to not only fulfill this census, but also to pay taxes. And so this event that happened in, in human history is actually recorded in, in many books outside of the Bible. And so he starts by saying, look, this is when it happened. It happened during this time, during this moment of time in history. And then all of a sudden, there's this Joseph and there's this Mary. And Mary, he's, she's betrothed to be married to Joseph, and she happens to be with child. Now, if you didn't know, the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem was about 60 to 80 miles Women in the room, how exciting would that be to be pregnant and to have to walk 60 to 80 miles so that you can be part of a census and pay taxes? That sounds exciting, right? Men, how exciting would it be to have a pregnant wife and have to take her to your family? You're taking her to your family, right? You're not going to her family. You're taking her to, her to your family 60 to 80 miles. You can imagine how many times they had to stop along the way, right? But here's what we read next. They arrived. They're there. And the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. She laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Man, this is the, this is the awesome part of the story. This is the part that we just love to focus on. Like here you have Mary and Joseph. And you find out from other scriptures that they come from this poor town and they weren't people of means and, and they were forced because they were under the oppression of the Roman government to have to make this crazy journey that no one would have wanted to have to make at, at this time in her pregnancy, but yet they made it anyways because that's what they were ordered to do. And the miracle of life, birth, a child comes in to the world. And it's so easy to just kind of stop here in the story. It's so easy to just kind of focus on this part of the story and say, okay, thanks, Tim. Let's get the band back up here. Let's sing the song, light the candle. Let's get on to the Christmas party, right? But Luke wouldn't want us to do that tonight. He'd want us to keep reading about what it is that he has for us. See, so often people, as they, as they approach this, they, they kind of just have the manger in their mind as the only, you know, kind of center focus point in this whole narrative. But yet, here's Mary and Joseph. They went there because they were forced to go there, but they would have had all of their family surrounding them. And so even in our manger scene, when it's just Mary and Joseph, the baby, that's actually not an accurate depiction of it because the, the whole idea of there's no room in the inn just meant that there wasn't a lot of room in the house where they were supposed to be. And so you can actually go to Bethlehem today. You can actually visit uh, the, the places where, where people during this time period used to live and you can see the way that they would build their homes into the sides of hills. 
And so they would actually have animals that would come in, uh, in at night underneath, one for protection, but two to keep them warm. And so you can imagine that when people would come in and it would flood these little tiny houses that they lived in, sometimes people had to be adjusted to different areas. And some of you know this, right? Some of you, you have family in town right now. Some of you kids, again, maybe older kids, maybe teenagers, you have had to give up your bedroom for Uncle Buck or Aunt Sandy, right? <laughs> and so all of a sudden now you find yourself on the couch in the living room or your parents have thrown you into the basement and you're going, what is this all about? That's kind of what's happening with Mary and Joseph. For whatever reason, they retreated to a different part of this area that they were in. And I know some of you say, well, what's with all the animals? It just seems too good to be true. It just seems kind of crazy and, and kind of you know, hokey that there's all these animals surrounding them. And you, you stop and you think to yourself, back then, they were a little bit more comfortable having animals around them. Now, we just happen to live in a society, you know, it's 2019, where no one would ever even think about having their dog or cat sleep with them in their bed, right? <laughs> None of you ever do that. It's completely unheard of, right? But that's actually what took place. Like, this is an actual real account that this thing actually took place. And so we don't know all of the animals that were present. We just know that Jesus was placed in the most humble of means in a manger. And he did it for you and he did it for me. But again, the story doesn't end there. Look at what it says next in verse 8. It says, In the same region, there's shepherds. And they're out in the field and they're keeping watch over their flock by night. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they're filled with great fear. And the angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Why are the shepherds part of this account? Why did Luke include this detail for us? It's kind of interesting at this time in history that the shepherds were the most despised people. I mean, this was the occupation that nobody ever wanted. And yet God chose to enter into human history at this time to allow Jesus to be born, but that he would also go and he would purposely announce this to the shepherds. What an incredible thing that he did. See, God's always orchestrating the events of human history. God is always doing things in a certain way and for a certain reason. And he did that so that we could read this today, so that we would know, that we would know that these people that were so often looked down on, these people that were often so despised by the others, even from their own community, that God, in fact, has come for everyone. The fact that he would go and he would display himself to these people is actually an incredible miracle. And I can tell you how this plays out even for kids, kids that are still in here, right? Kids, I know you're still paying attention to me, right? When, if you've ever been part of a children's Christmas production, if you've ever been to one, or maybe you grew up going to church and you remember this because a lot of churches uh, would do these huge children's Christmas productions. And it was always a stressful time as a kid. I don't know about you. I'm just going to tell you. I'm working, I'm working this out with my therapist. Don't worry. But um, <laughs> they would pass out the parts of what part you would play as a kid. And of course, all the little girls wanted to be Mary. Who doesn't want to be Mary? She's a major character. I mean, you want to be Mary. And so they would pick Mary. And then there'd be the group of young boys, right? And the only way that you ever wanted to be Joseph was if Mary was cute, right? <laughs> Mary wasn't cute. You're like, I'll sign up for something else. Thanks. And so eventually they would just pick a guy and he'd have to be Mary and Joseph. 
And then the girls that didn't get picked to be married, what would they say? Oh, I'll be an angel, I'll be an angel, I'll be an angel, because who doesn't want to wear a nice white flowing dress and have a halo? I mean, it's kind of cool, isn't it? And one of the best, best possible situations you could be in was actually being able to be one of the wise men. Because you got to wear these really cool, fancy outfits, and they would actually trust you to hold a gift through the entire production and not drop it. Right? You would just have like this extra level of responsibility. But again, nobody ever wanted to be a shepherd. You knew if you were being a shepherd, you were at the back of the line. Great, I get to wear the sackcloth again this year. Great, they're going to put a rope around my waist. And it's no different from what happened during this time in history. That God chose the lowliest. That God chose the people that, he, that, that would never, ever, ever expect to receive an announcement like this. And not only does he come to them, not only does he give them this incredible announcement, look at what he does next in verse 12. It, he, the angel says this, this is going to be a sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then for some crazy reason, God decides that suddenly there's an angel uh, there's all of this multitude of heavenly hosts. Now all of a sudden there's all these angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And they got to see this incredible display of God's authority and God's power right before their eyes. And when you know the angels went away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, hey, we should go to Bethlehem. We should see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. And look at what it says. They went with haste. I mean, they booked it out of there. And I'm guessing they just left the sheep behind. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made the known saying that had been told of them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Not only did they get to hear that this actually happened in this moment in time, that the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies, all of these things going all the way back to Genesis chapter two for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the promised Messiah, not only are they hearing it, now they actually got to be part of the narrative. They got to be part of the account. They got to see it firsthand. What awesome, incredible privilege they had. And because they heard it and because they saw it, their lives were changed. Their lives were changed because they encountered Jesus. Here's the other reality that was happening that very same night. 1,500 miles away from Bethlehem was Caesar Augustus, the guy that we read about in the beginning going about his normal business, doing what he always does, ruling. He'd been ruling for 40 years. His father just happened to be Julius Caesar. You might remember that name. And Julius Caesar was declared a god. So you can imagine Caesar Augustus is a son of a god. And so here you have the son of God, 1,500 miles away from the son of God, being born in a manger. And you have all those people in that whole Roman area that, that didn't believe and, and weren't you know, followers of Jesus, just like, let's be honest, in our area, as much as churches are packed out, as much focus as there is, as much focus as there is on even calling everything that we have, Christmas tree, Christmas presents, Christmas cookies, there's still a lot of people that don't know about Jesus. There's still a lot of people in our community that aren't going to church. There's still a lot of people that aren't gathering around God's word, that aren't hearing the truth that God has for them today. But yet, for some reason, you're here tonight in this church. 
that through some series of events, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe you saw the church sign, maybe you saw the website, maybe you follow us on social media, somehow God led you to be here in this moment in time for this hour on December 24th, 2019, so that God could actually speak to you tonight. Do you know how God speaks to you? He speaks to you through his word, that he inspired Luke to capture these words for us so that you would know the certainty of how much God loves you. Do you know God was there the moment that you were born? And that was a moment in time, that was a specific moment in time. And do you know that God has been with you all of your life? Whether you've believed in him or not, he's been watching over you and he's been drawing you to himself. And he wants nothing more than to be in relationship with you. It's not that you have to leave here and you have to go fix yourself and you gotta get your life in order, you gotta get your family in order, you gotta get your finances in order, you gotta get all these things in order and then come back and then you know, we'll accept you here at Shepherd's Gate. That's not how it works. We go to God and we allow God to open up our hearts, to open up our lives, to show us the reality of our state. And as we do that, God becomes part of our lives. He becomes part of our being. And this is the incredible thing that he does for you and for me. He gives us a joy that comes from the inside of us. He gives us a joy that only he can give. And even if the world is falling around, apart, around us, and even if our lives, and maybe this has been a terrible year for you, and you just can't wait to get on to 2020 and hit the reset button, and you're just hoping and praying that 2020 is going to look a whole lot different than 2019, guess what? In this moment, in this place, in this time, God is speaking to you. Listen to what he has to say to you today. I love you, and I want to be part of your life, and I don't want to just be part of your life on December 24th or December 25th. I want to be part of your life each and every day, and I have a purpose, and I have a plan, and it's far greater than you could ever hope or imagine. So you can spend the rest of your time here on earth trying to just, you know, create a life and create this comfort and create all of these things that you think that you're supposed to have. But here's the reality for you and for me is one day we're going to close our eyes in this life. One day this is all going to come to an end. And we can live our lives and we can just say, well, I guess this is it. And when I close my eyes, I die and I die and that's it. Or you can realize this, that God created you and he loves you, and he wants to spend eternity with you, which is why he sent Jesus Christ. You can't stop with the baby in the manger because the boy or the baby had to become a boy, and the boy had to become a man, and the man had to stretch out his arms on a cross and die for you and for me. And he's dying. He's hanging on the cross. That's why churches have crosses. He's hanging on the cross because we can't do this on our own. We need his help. We need his intervention. We need, as the scripture we read tonight, we need him to be our savior. We can go through life. We can go through life again. We can try to get the next promotion. We can try to get the next raise. We can hoard all our money. We can do all sorts of things to try to make ourselves comfortable. But I promise you this, true joy and true peace only comes from Jesus. And he loves you. And he's calling you to himself tonight. And for whatever reason, you're here tonight to hear that from him. So again, if you feel far from God, or maybe you've never had that joy or that peace in your heart and your life, God is ready and he is willing to give it to you tonight. 
And I can tell you this because I see a lot of people that I recognize in here. There's a lot of people that belong to this church that have been, you know, following this for a while. And each and every one of them will tell you the same thing. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all of life's complexities figured out. I certainly don't. I'm still trying to figure out how to be a better husband and a better father and a better pastor and all of these things, but yet God is still at work in our hearts and our lives. But the difference is we realize our need for a Savior. So tonight, I just want to invite you into that and tell you how much God loves you and ask you to think about that tonight because this is what I can promise you about the future. Guess what? Tomorrow's going to come and go just like that. And you're going to blink, and it's going to be the new year, 2020. And then blink, and guess what? You're going to be paying taxes, okay? Just like Mary and Joseph. And blink, it's going to be spring. Blink, it's going to be summer. Blink, it's going to be fall. Blink, and you'll be right back in here for Christmas 2020. Life goes by too fast. Because God wants to be in relationship with you each and every day. Not once a year each and every day, and there's this place called Shepherd's Gate that just happens to be on 23 Mile that would love to walk through life with you and would love to walk through whatever circumstance you're going through and would love to walk this journey with you and your family. Again, God loves you and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this evening? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us here into your house that you knew would be here that nobody tonight is here on accident. That God, you knew each and every person that would be here. Just as you entered human history, however many years ago on whatever date or whatever year it was, God, the most important thing is that you broke through and that you sent your one and only son that that baby would become a boy, that boy would become a man and that man would hang on the cross for us that he would die for us, that he would take our sins upon him. God, I pray for everyone that's in here, anybody that doesn't know you, anybody that's struggling to know you, anybody that maybe has never put their faith in you before. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you tonight, as crazy as it sounds, as difficult as this may be, I would just encourage you, to whisper that prayer to God, to invite him into your life, to invite him into your situation and watch what he can do in your heart, in your life. Watch as all of a sudden you have a peace in your heart that you can't even explain. Watch as all of a sudden, even though life is crazy around you, all of a sudden there's this joy that you feel in your heart that's from God because he knew that you would be here tonight and he knew that you would need to hear this message. And so, God, we humble ourselves before you. We invite you into our lives. God, we love you and we thank you for everything that you have done for us through your risen Savior and Lord. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.